Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So last week, we finished a series that was all about the northern kingdom of Israel, and they went through this cycle where they would kind of be okay with God for a while, and then they would stray from God, and so God would send prophets to them to uh, try to warn them in some ways, in a lot of ways, to turn back to him. And the warning was, basically, if you don't turn back to me, I'm going to judge you. Destruction will come. And it didn't go well uh, for them. They didn't learn their lesson, and so Assyria, who was the major power at the time, back in the 730s BC, basically destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. So let's fast forward 125 years, and now we have the southern kingdom. It's called Judah. It's it's still still God's people, but it's the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, They're facing a similar situation, extremely, eerily similar, you might say, where they tend to stray from God at key points, at key times, and God will send prophets to them to warn them, hey, you know what happened to your cousins up north a century ago? That's going to happen to you if you don't don't turn like they didn't turn. And so he sends these prophets to them. Uh, But as we'll see in this series, for them, everything goes south. That's the name of this series. We're talking about the southern kingdom of Judah, and spoiler alert, it doesn't go great. So here's the point, though. We've already got that out of the bag. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, However, my hope is that as we look at the prophets of the southern kingdom of Judah and we see uh, sort of their message, their main ideas, uh, what they're trying to convey, that we may learn something from that. That even though we're thousands of years removed in a different time, place, and culture in the world, that we would still see there's value to what God said to his people in Judah that we can still learn from and glean from today. So that's what we're going to look at in this series, Everything Goes South. How many of you have ever bought furniture from Ikea before? <laughs> Follow-up question, how many of you have, have ever tried to put that furniture together? <laughs> yeah. So you, you, I, you feel my pain. You know I've been through this. We've been there. So Ikea is notorious for everything you see in the store you take home, but you take it home in a box in a thousand pieces. And even though there's a thousand pieces in, this, in these boxes, the instruction booklets are not very helpful, typically. Very little information to go off of, not any words that, I, that I've ever seen in any booklets of anything I've ever put together. It's just very vague diagrams and pictures and a few arrows and maybe a letter or two to help you find where things are supposed to go. And then sometimes when you're done, you have a lot of pieces left over. And if you're like me, you're thinking, I missed something somewhere. Now, sometimes they're just extra pieces because they're that great. You know, they're, they're that good to us. They know, you know, we might need it in the end. Uh, But the instructions are vague. Sometimes the plan doesn't make sense with Ikea furniture. And sometimes with God, it's exactly the same way. Sometimes, we'll talk about today, sometimes God's plan doesn't make sense. So that's where we find ourselves in the kingdom of Judah. It's about 600 B.C., somewhere around there. And God uses, he doesn't really, so we're talking about Habakkuk today. 
Habakkuk is considered a prophet from the Old Testament, but he's unique in that really his three, short three-chapter book that's named after him, that is about him, is really more about him and God having a conversation. It's not so much that he is giving Habakkuk a word to the people, this is what's going to happen, although when it's written down, it comes across that way. It's mainly Habakkuk uh, has this, uh, this complaint we'll talk about in a second, and God tells him what his plan is. Habakkuk goes back and forth with God about this plan and how it's going to look and what it's going to be and how it's going to go. And so it's unique in this way. So let's start at the very beginning to get our bearings here and look at, really, Habakkuk has a complaint. He's got several complaints that he's going to voice to God here. Habakkuk chapter 1, starting at verse number 1. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. And so here, here's what he, this is Habakkuk talking to God. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. So Habakkuk has a series of complaints that he gives to God here. He says there's injustice everywhere, there's violence in the land, there's destruction, there's wickedness, there's misery all around me. And Habakkuk is saying, hey God, where are you? What, what's going on? Have you not been watching the news lately? Have you not been keeping up with the headlines? Have you, have you gone on vacation for the summer and now look what you came back to? Is that what's going on? Habakkuk has some complaints here. So not everything's going great and he's like, what's the deal? And God gives him some good news. The very next verse seems like some great news. Verse number five, God says, I have a plan, okay? Let's look at the next verse, Habakkuk 1.5. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Now, this sounds amazing. God's like, I'm not going to give it away yet, but this is going to blow your mind what I'm going to do. Now, let's stop for a second and discuss this verse before we get into the following verses. If you took this verse by itself, all alone, on an island, this could be like a coffee mug verse. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. You'd put it wall art in your home. Habakkuk 1.5. God's got an amazing plan. That's going to blow your mind. But there's one, there's one, if there's any rule about the Bible, there's, this is the one rule. Context. If you're going to read the Bible and read it correctly and understand it correctly, you can't, this is a verse you cannot just pluck out and put on your wall art. Okay. So as, you, as you're reading and studying, let's be careful. Now, sometimes certain verses can come out and mean something on their own. Sometimes that does happen. This is not one of those times. Because again, if we were just read verse 5, I'm going to do something you would never believe. And it's because it's going to sound horrible is really why. Let's, let's continue. Habakkuk 1 verse 6. So God says, I'm gonna do, I've got a plan. You would not even believe it if I told you. And then he tells them his plan. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. 
On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. Let's look here at the key to God's plan. Go back to verse 6. God says, here's the plan, Habakkuk, that you wouldn't believe, but I'm going to tell you. I, God, am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. This is an example where God's plan doesn't make sense. God is going to raise up one of the most evil empires the world has and will ever see. They are extremely, brutally violent. They are, they are godless in the way of they don't worship him. They worship maybe multiple other gods, the kings that set themselves up like most ancient cultures. He is the god of the culture. So Habakkuk is, is thinking, wait, what now? When he hears this thing that God tells him, he's going to be a little bit confused. It's going to be hard for him to hear this. It's going to be hard for him to accept this. God's plan doesn't make sense. He struggles with the plans. He says, okay, now, I understand that we're not doing so hot right now, but you're really going to use an evil, a more evil group of people to crush us? Is that really how this is going to go? And it just, it just is so confusing uh, for him. He struggles with the plan. There are many times in our lives where life is confusing, there are seasons in life when we think God has a plan, but it doesn't make any sense what's going on. There are times when it seems that God's plan maybe isn't working. There are moments where we might even question, does God really have a plan here? Does he really? Like if we're honest at the core of our heart, we might be thinking, I don't know about that. Here, here's a few examples in our lives that, where God's plan may not make sense. When you're laid off from your job. How does that make any sense? When you struggle, maybe you have or are struggling with a sickness or a health struggle. Where's God in that? Maybe you're facing multiple personal setbacks in your life and everything's falling apart kind of all at once and you're left thinking, okay, God, any time would be great for you to show up and reveal your master plan. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and you've tried and tried and tried, but nothing is working. It's not improving. And you're thinking, okay, God, where's the plan to fix this? Maybe an unexpected death of a loved one. It leaves you thinking, okay, God, why would God allow this pain and suffering in my life? Maybe you have a deal that falls through. Maybe your financing fell through on a purchase of a home. Or maybe you went, in, you went into business with a partner and they left you high and dry holding the bag. And you're like, whoa, God, this, was this part of the plan? What's going on here? It doesn't make sense. Maybe you look around and you're worried about the economy. I would say, first of all, you're normal in doing so, okay? That's, that's just how it is. Maybe you're thinking, is God going to provide? Where's his plan? Maybe you're looking at the world situation, and your main question is, where is God? You're like Habakkuk. The world is falling apart. The world's in flames. God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything? If you are so powerful, let's see some power. So here's the question we're going to wrestle with for a few minutes today. What do we do in those moments? What do we do when God's plan doesn't make sense? And we're going to use the story of Habakkuk, his conversation with God, as our example. And what we're going to see for a few minutes here are four things that we can do when God's plan doesn't make sense. And before I get into them, let me just make this disclaimer. I'll probably make it again while we're in it. What I do not want to do is oversimplify maybe what you're going through. 
It's easy for me to get up here and say, here's four things from the Bible that you can do this and it's going to be okay. Well, that sounds great and it's easy to say, right? But it's not so easy to live out. So I want to say that up front. I'm not trying to trivialize maybe something dark and difficult that you are going through. However, I do believe that Scripture does show us these four things that we can do even when God's plan doesn't make sense. We can do these four things, okay? Here we go. Number one, here's the first thing that we will see in Habakkuk. The first thing we can do when God's plan doesn't make sense is to maintain gratitude. Maintain gratitude. So near the end of this uh, story of Habakkuk in chapter 3, here's what Habakkuk says at the very end. We'll talk more about the conversation later, but here's what he says. Chapter 3, verse 17. Habakkuk says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. So again, things for Habakkuk are not good. And when God reveals his plan, it almost sounds worse than what he's actually going through. But still, Habakkuk says, if everything else fails, I believe that God will never fail. What does he say here? He rejoices in the Lord. He finds joy in the Lord. He says, God, you are my salvation. You're my only hope. It's not Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. It's God, you are my only hope. That's his only source of hope is his salvation in God. So when we talk about gratitude, let's not diminish it, okay? Or let's not confuse what we're talking about. Gratitude is not just the power of positive thinking. That's not what it is. But here's what I do believe. It's not just the power of positive thinking, but I believe that gratitude can powerfully and positively change your thinking. It has the power to do that. So how you think and what you choose to focus on are powerful one way or the other. Either what you think about and how you think about it and what you focus on will drag you down into misery, or you can choose, as we'll talk about, through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way that you think by his power, to change how and what you focus on to help to pull you through a difficult season in your life. It is true. So you don't have control over everyone's actions, right? But we do have control over our reactions to those actions, that can be powerful in your life. You can't control everything that happens to you, but you can control how you view it and what you do with it. There is, even if it's very limited in what we can control, let's try to control the controllable. So gratitude is a choice. It is. Let's, I don't have these verses on the screen, but let me just kind of rattle these off quickly. Uh, you can jot them down if you'd like and maybe go back over them this week. Uh, this is something Dave talked about a couple weeks ago. Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the Holy Spirit helps us, it says in the New Living Translation, to change the way we think. Again, it's not just me mustering up the willpower to be positive. It's that the Holy Spirit supplements when I'm too weak to be positive. I, ha I, don't, I don't have it within me to make it today, but with the Holy Spirit's power, I can he can change the way that I think. He can change my perception. He can change my attitude and help me to live with gratitude. He changes the way that we think. Philippians 4, verse 7, Paul says that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can rule your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Get that? Your heart and your mind. Christ rules those things. As we submit to him, that's part of what you give to him as you submit yourself to him. Your mind, your heart, your will, your emotions, you submit that to him. You say, okay, God, on my worst day, can you kind of lift me up today? When my mind is starting to go into deep, dark places, God, can you help maybe to lift me out of that pit of despair? And he can do that. He gives you peace that surpasses understanding to guard your heart and your mind. One more scripture, Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds stay upon you because they trust in you. So when I choose to focus on God instead of the issue, something changes. Again, it's not a magical formula. It's not a rub the lamp and God the genie comes out to make all your things disappear, right? It's that I'm choosing to focus on the only, as Habakkuk did, the only source of help I have in this darkness. My only source of salvation is in him. The things that I can't control, we'll talk about that near the end, but the things that I can't control, I have to submit to him. I have to give those to him. And it does change the way that we think and the way that we react and the way that we live. So we want to keep our mind focused on God. We want to let him transform us and give us this indescribable peace. Maybe some things that you can say even this week to God. You can say, God, thank you that I woke up this morning. Sometimes that is the the only thing that you can say. I woke up, right? But you're focusing on that. That's good. God, thank you. Maybe you're not healed like you were praying. Maybe you get a positive doctor's report. You can say, God, thank you for this positive doctor's report. It's not everything, but it's something, so thank you for that. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship, and it's not healed yet, but you maybe see a glimmer of hope. You see a small improvement. You sense some closeness there. You can say, God, thank you for this small improvement in this relationship. Thank you that six months ago we weren't on speaking terms, and now, man, we, we actually text one another occasionally. Like, we can be in the same room together now. Like, thank you for that improvement. God, thank you for this job interview this week. I don't have a job yet, and I'm struggling, and things are tight, but, man, I got something lined up, and I'm believing you for a miracle. Like, focusing upon what God can do instead of what we cannot do is a game changer. It is. It doesn't solve your problem, but it changes the way you think, which is the first step. So don't allow your thoughts and attitudes to suck energy out of you, to weigh you down, but instead focus your thoughts and attitudes into energy that can propel you forward. Maintaining gratitude is a great first step, even when God's plan doesn't make sense. Now, what that doesn't mean, however, is that we have to lie to ourselves. What that doesn't mean is that I deny reality. So then the second step in this process is to be honest. We want to maintain gratitude, yes, we also need to be honest. So back to Habakkuk, when God reveals his plan, Habakkuk is brutally honest that he is not very happy with what God's revealed to him. He lets him know. So this is Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Here's what Habakkuk says back to God. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? So Habakkuk is very brutally honest and clear with God. He says, God, I don't like your stinking plan. Is there another plan, please? What's the plan B? Let's scrap that one. That's terrible. What, what else do we have? That's just what he says. He's honest with God. 
He says, again, I, I, know, I know we've sinned, but at least we had this thing going for a while. Doesn't that count for anything? These are evil, terrible, pagan people that you're going to use to, are you going to wipe us out with them? Like, if you're going to wipe us out, just like, you know, maybe a lightning bolt to crater us, but don't, don't do it this way. Like, if you're going to wipe us out, could you at least have some mercy and do it a different way? Well, it's not this way. This can't, this can't be the way. This can't be your plan. And then he says, maybe something you've said before, well, what about their sin? Why am I being punished for my sin? What, they're way more sinful than me. Like, what's the deal with them? How does that make any sense? So Habakkuk doesn't understand God's plan, and he's honest about it. And God seems to be okay with that. Habakkuk, like, lives after chapter 1, verse 13. God doesn't, like, strike him dead or anything. They, have a, they keep their conversation going. So another scripture, again, just to reference it, not on the screen, but 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter says that you can cast all your cares upon God because he cares for you. I would say that includes honesty. Some of your cares are, are mental blocks to what God is or is not doing. The action or inaction that God is taking, uh, sometimes it's the care that we need to bring to him. God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't see how this is going to work. Like I'm trying to figure out the, you know, like the multiverse of plans here, you know, like, like uh, what's his name? The Dr. Strange, I kept thinking Captain, and it's like, no, it's not Captain anybody, it's, yeah, Dr. Strange. Like, I'm going through all the scenarios, and it's just not working. So what's going on? So you, you're allowed, let me just say that, maybe you didn't know this, you're allowed to be honest with God. It's okay. He can take it. He can handle your questions, your concerns, your complaints. You can say, God, I don't get it. You can say, God, this really hurts. You can say, you know what, God, I'm angry. You can say, God, I'm tired. You can say, God, I'm so confused right now. You can, tell, you can say, hey, God, I'm scared. I don't know. I don't understand. I, there's like no room for error here. There's no time on the clock. There's, there's no margin, right? I'm, I'm scared. And God is with you in your wrestling. In those moments of deepest doubt, he's with you. He doesn't say, oh, you question me? How dare you, peon flick? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He's okay with your honesty. He actually wants that. Let me just turn around, though, and say our honesty is good, but it never obligates God to answer. Okay? I know that's hard to say and hard to hear sometimes. God wants you to pour it out to him, but sometimes he's going to keep certain information from you. And he has his reasons, he has his, you know, modes and ways that he works that we don't understand. That's the whole point of what we're talking about today. And so just because we beg God, tell me, tell me, tell it's like a child, tell me, tell me, tell me, give me. He's not just going to always give in like I do with my kids sometimes, right? I'm called a pushover on a regular basis. Kim tells me to watch the ledge there because I'm going to fall really far, you know. <laughs> God doesn't always work that way. And so we have to remain honest. Sometimes that creates more complaints, you know? And so we still have to say, okay, God, I still don't get it. I still don't. And he's okay with that. He's okay with that. As we'll talk about in just a second, usually God doesn't usually give us the full download of the whole master plan, the whole blueprint of the whole process here. Usually, as we'll talk about in a second, what he will give us is just enough to take that next little step. We'll get there in a second, but let me just say this. We want to be honest and real and vulnerable with God in this process, but then we want to let God be God. It's, remember, we're talking about we don't understand God's plan. It's his plan. So if we trust that God is in control 
If we trust that God is sovereign, if we trust that he does have a plan, even though I don't know every detail and every step of said plan, I'm going to be honest with him in the process and then let him do his thing. I'm not going to try to micromanage God. It doesn't work very well. So we want to be honest as we maintain that gratitude. And then here's the third thing that we'll focus on for a few minutes. You may try to be optimistic. You may try to, you know, have the right attitude. You may try to be honest, and still you're confused. You still don't understand. So here's the third thing that we can do. Go with what you know. Go with what you know. I I want to give a general principle about what this means in life and then a specific principle as well. So we'll look at it in two different ways or two different levels here. Go with what you know. First, a general principle in life that will help us through anything we face is to simply live a life of consistent obedience with God. Just a general principle to go with what we know. Living a solid Christian life every day, as much as we are able. So loving God, loving our neighbor as ourself, the two top ones, trying as best as I can to do that, no matter what I'm facing otherwise, I'm talking about every single day. Life may be really good for you right now. Maybe this doesn't apply in the moment. Maybe it has and maybe it will, but right now you're like, okay. So right now when like the waves are calm and life is, you're kind of coasting through and life is good, continue that consistent life of obedience. We'll talk about why that's important in a second. Daily time with God is part of that. Honoring God with our words and our actions is part of that. Trying to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Trying to live those things out, those virtues out. So doing this when life is sort of good and normal will then better prepare you for when life throws those curveballs. So it's like in baseball, when a, when a, a batter learns what, different, um, what a different pitcher, what his tells are, or maybe he has a guess of what pitch is next. So if he's kind of, he goes with what he knows, and he, sometimes he's going to guess right and knock that thing out of the park. So we want to be prepared for those curveballs. And continually growing and maturing in our faith will help us so that when difficulty comes, we're not crushed by it. If I'm strengthened enough to withstand in those good times, then when the lean times come, I'm not completely crushed under the weight of that. Let me give you an example that sort of may, hopefully it'll make sense, it'll fit. Uh, Algebra is an example of this in two different ways. So algebra is math, right? Math is usually numbers, isn't it? Not algebra. Some genius, right, in ancient Greece thought, let's stick numbers in there, you know? Wow, what what a thought, okay? So usually in algebra, you're solving for a specific letter in a problem, okay? And there's maybe multiple letters. It's weird to think math has letters. That's why I hate math, guys, because I don't, I don't understand why are there letters. Letters belong in the breeding, in the, you know, not the arithmetic part. Anyway, so you're trying to solve. Let's say you're trying to solve for X, and there's a Y in there. And you know what Y is. They'll tell you, hey, Y equals 2. You have to go with what you know. I know what these numbers mean. I know how to do basic math. And I know, what, I, I know that, so I'm going to do what I, I'm going to go with what I know to try to solve for what I don't know. And if you get it in the right order and do the right thing, which, you know, I know it's tough for me too, guys, you know, then you'll get the correct answer. Or hopefully it's the odd number that's in the back of the book. That's <laughs> just, you know, my teachers were too smart for that. So you have to go with what you know. So sometimes, here, here's the thing, we talk about when life is sometimes easy or better or calmer. Sometimes we are tempted to kind of coast in that season of life. Sometimes spiritually, we can get lazy. We don't do these basics. 
So then when the difficult problem comes, that's not in the back of the book, we don't have any, we are not prepared. We could have been, maybe should have been slightly prepared for some of the pain, some of the difficulty, some of the questions that come, but sometimes what squatches is like a bug because when things were fine, we were fine. See what I'm saying? Sometimes when life is too good, we're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden, oh, God, I need you so much now. It's like we go from zero to 100. It's like maybe if you just stayed at that, like, 50 mark kind of somewhere in the middle there, it wouldn't be such a, a huge adjustment that we have to make. And so we want to be prepared as much as we can, right? Sometimes things just come and we are just, we, I try to be prepared and I'm still not off my feet. That happens. But I do believe, as a general rule, the more, we, the more that we live this life of consistent obedience to God, making him a key part of our life all the time, then we still know that he's there even through those difficulties. That's the general uh, idea here of going with what you know. Here's the, the specific part that we'll cover for just a minute as well. When troubles do come, or when God's plan doesn't make sense to you, this means living a life of patience. Here's what we see this in Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 Verses 1 through 3, we see the patience of Habakkuk here, and, and it pays off and what that really means. So after they talk back and forth a little bit, here's what Habakkuk finally says. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This Vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So the key, we want to live a life of patience. We'll talk about that in a second. Here's what that does not mean, though. Patience does not mean inaction. Patience with God does not just mean sitting around, twiddling your thumbs, waiting for what he is going to do next. Much of the time, in the midst of patience, in the midst of waiting, in the midst of I don't know what's happening next, there's still something for us to do. We see it here. So verse 1, um, Habakkuk says, I'm just going to wait and see what God's answer is. That's good. Posture of prayer. That's positive. Verse 3, he, God tells him to wait patiently. The answer will come. The prophecy will be fulfilled. Just wait patiently. But look at verse 2. God gives him an instruction a thing to do in the middle of being patient and waiting. He says, write my answer down. Don't just passively sit around and wait for me to do the next thing or reveal it to you. He says, I've got, I've got a mission for you in the midst of your patient waiting. I believe that's how life tends to work. In the middle of not understanding what, the, what God's master plan is, there, if we go with what we know, there's still enough for us to do the next thing. There's still some sort of action step that we can take in the process of waiting. And that sometimes will make the waiting more bearable. I can kind of keep my mind off of this big thing because I'm trying to work on this other part of whatever this plan might be. I'm not just sitting around worrying and freaking out about all these things that I can't control and don't understand and don't see how it's going to work. But God has something for you to do in the middle of that while you patiently wait. Let me mention one more part of this, then we'll move on to the, to the final thing here in a minute. Part of living with patience is what I'm going to call living with pace. Living with patience in, involves living with pace. What that means is, here's my encouragement, don't get ahead of God and don't get behind God. Because what happens is when we try to get ahead of God, we make a mess. 
And when we get behind God, we miss a moment. That's, we want to avoid both of these errors. If we get ahead of God, we'll make a mess. Abraham's a great example of this. God gave a promise to his son and to Abram and his wife Sarah in their old age. But guess what? God's plan wasn't happening fast enough. Okay, God, where's the, you know, we're getting really old now. It's been years and nothing's happened and it's just not possible. And so they get ahead of God. They try to force the issue. They try to make this child of promise happen in a different way. And it makes a mess that we still deal with to this day. So we got ahead of God, made a mess. But if we get behind God, if we get behind him, then we can sometimes miss a moment. An example of this that almost happened is in 2 Kings chapter 5. There's a man named Naaman, and he's a former military guy um, in, a, in, a different, in a foreign country. And what happened with Naaman is in his retirement, he was struck with leprosy. It's this terrible skin disorder, and it's just not good, and so he, he wants relief from this. So he hears from a, a, a little girl, hey, there's a prophet over in Israel. Maybe he can heal you. So Naaman goes to his king and requests permission to basically go to Israel to seek healing from, from this prophet in Israel. And so the king sends Naaman to Israel with a bunch of gold and a bunch of gifts to the king of Israel, not to the prophet, which is odd, but to the king. So, he, so Naaman travels to the king with all these gifts and all this gold and says, hey, I need you to heal me. And the king's like, well, I can't do that. <laughs> That's not my department. And so it's kind of like, what are we going to do here? God, it's not making sense. But the prophet Elisha, who is in Israel, hears that Naaman has come for, to Israel. And so he sends word, hey, come to my house and and you'll be healed, basically. So Naaman's like, okay, this is great. We're going to go. And so he goes to Elisha's house, and he's there, and like nobody's home, and the lights are off, and what's going on? And so then Elisha sends his messenger to Naaman, and he sends him this message, and his message is, hey, go to the Jordan River and bathe seven times in the Jordan River, and then you'll be healed from leprosy. You would think Naaman would be excited about this. Okay, I've come all this way. I finally got my answer, and it's, it's this simple. Okay, let's do it. Let's go to the Jordan River. But instead, Naaman is frustrated with this response. He's kind of angry. He's indignant about this. He's like, okay, wait. I'm kind of an important general, retired with honors, right? This guy couldn't even come out himself and talk to me face-to-face like a man? Like, uh, no. He sent his servant out here with the message, and then he tells me to go to the nasty Jordan River. Gross. Who, uh, there's tons of rivers back home that are way nicer, way better. So here's what he's doing. He's not happy with the plan. It's a simple plan. Go bathe this river seven times, and this skin disease that's incurable will be cured. And he just complains about the plan. He doesn't like the way it's brought to him. He doesn't like the method of the plan. He's in danger of missing a moment because he's going to get behind. But instead, the people around him have enough sense to say, hey, this is a great deal. You need to listen to this. You need to follow the message and go do what he's telling you to do to be healed. And they even tell him, if he had told you to do something difficult, you would do that because you're a general. If he had told you to go on a year-long quest to find the Holy Grail, you would do that without complaint. But when he tells you to do something simple, he doesn't even come out. He doesn't wave his hand to heal you. You complain. He said, just go do what he says. So he goes to the Jordan River, he goes and and dips seven times, and when he comes out, he's healed. So God may not do things in our way. He typically doesn't, right? Okay? He rarely, if ever, does anything in our timing. He's always incredibly slow, right? 
this is the calendar, the clock, time is ticking, right? And God may not give you, again, that complete download. However, what little next bit of information do you have? Go with that. What's the next step that you sense God leading you in? Take that step. Don't, don't wait for the perfect timing, the perfect plan, the full plan to come. Don't miss the moment. Don't do it. What's the one little thing you know? Go with what you know. There's a lot you don't know, but go with what you know. Here's the fourth thing that we'll look at here for just a minute, and it's this. We go with what we know, and then we trust God with what we don't know. And let me come back to my disclaimer from the beginning. I am not attempting to oversimplify your pain or your situation, or your trouble, or the darkness that you're in. So this, sound, this could almost, if we're not careful, sound trivial. But just trust God, you know. It can sound like, really? But yes, that's the power and the simplicity of who God is. He's asking us to do the small, simple things and let him take care of those big things. It's a good trade. I'll, I'll take that trade. Even with the questions, even with the doubts, even with the uncertainty and the feelings of insecurity, all those things that creep in, I'm going to trust him with the big things that I don't know, and it, it works every time. A couple scriptures as we begin to wrap it up. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, three simple words from Paul, never stop praying. This may be the way in which God gives you the next step is through prayer. So if we're skipping out on that conversation with him, we might miss out on the next thing he has for us. So part of that, even in the good times, the bad times, the high times, the low times, never stop praying. Because that's going to be the way that he's going to communicate with you. So we want to make sure that our prayer is a dialogue and not a monologue. So don't just come to prayer and say, okay, God, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want, I feel, I feel, I feel, amen, we're done. Take a couple of minutes in your prayer time to just wait on God. That's what, remember, Habakkuk says, I'm going to go wait and see what God's going to say. Have that posture in your prayer. Have that in your, in your prayer life, in your routine, waiting for that, that word to come, that thought to come, um, that sense of what God may be doing next to come. That discernment and spiritual sensitivity comes through prayer. And we talk about trusting God with what we don't know. That's simply the definition of faith, isn't it? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So a life of faith is simply, God, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you in it. God, I don't know how you're going to come through here, but I trust that you will. God, I don't know when this will resolve itself or if it will resolve itself. But until I receive an answer, I'm going to continue to trust you in this difficulty with this thing. A life of faith says, God, you're the expert, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you on this. God, you're the guide, so I'm going to follow you wherever you go. God, I can't see clearly, but I look to you for clarity. I don't sense hope, but I look to you for hope. As, as Habakkuk said, you are my only source of salvation. One more thing as we close is this is the major key, so please hear this. The major key to this whole process of not knowing what to do when God's plan doesn't make sense is simply don't quit. Sounds very, very deep, right? <laughs> don't quit, okay? 
One more scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul again writing says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now think about what he's saying this way, about life being a marathon. In a marathon, who actually wins a marathon? Who gets a medal at the end of the marathon? Everybody that finishes gets a medal. So Kim is a great example of this. You're actually, you're, you're, yeah. Get ready for your massage today, dear, because I'm telling a story about you right now. All right. That's our agreement. If I talk about her, she gets a massage. So here we go. So was it four years ago? She did the Chicago Marathon, and she trained and trained and trained and trained for this marathon. We're talking like lots of runs, long runs, lots of hours, lots of training, all that sort of thing. So when she gets to this marathon, what is it, about eight or nine miles in, 10 miles in, her knee gives out. Like, just basically doesn't work anymore, right? And she's still got 16 miles to go. Point two. Yeah, don't forget the point two. That's the, that's the key part. That last little stretch there is everything. So 10 miles in, over 16 miles to go, her knee gives out, but she doesn't give up. So she continues to jog as much as she can, to walk, like drag that thing as much as she can across the finish line until she completed the marathon. And she's got the medal to prove it. Now, here's the thing that you might say about this. Well, that's a shame because she didn't get the time that she was hoping to get. Well, isn't all that training a waste because she was hampered by an injury that she wasn't prepared for and it's not really what she was hoping for? Wrong. Her training prepared her for a long, grueling 26.2-mile run, no matter what the conditions were, no matter what her body told her. Even on her best days, late in the training, her body's going to tell her, this hurts, please stop. So she's, gonna, she's already trained her mind and her body to push through to the end of that race, and it paid off extremely well for her. It wasn't a waste. All of the stuff that she had hoped and planned for, it wasn't a failure because she finished the race. Paul says, run in such a way as to get the prize. How do we do this? Simply by not quitting. It's kind of like that great uh, theologian, uh, Dory, from Finding Nemo. <laughs> she said, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming, right? That's, that's what Paul's saying. Keep running, keep fighting, keep believing. That's what he's saying. Life is never easy, okay? Even when we talked about the coasting times, there's still difficulties that come. Life's never just all beds of roses, okay? It does, does not exist. But God has a plan. And even when we don't understand God's plan, don't like God's plan, we question God's plan, I pray that we would maintain that gratitude maintain honesty, live a life of obedience, and then trust him with the rest. And to not quit. That's the way that we will see God's perfect plan perfectly fulfilled, even when God's plan doesn't make sense. Let's pray. God, again, in, in many ways, a, a difficult message today um, to work through, uh, to give, to hear, because many in the room, many listening today are struggling with big things, things, long-lasting, years-long struggles, deep things, emotional things, things that we have cried so many tears over, things that we have worried so many months and years over, things that we have tried to figure out to no avail. And so I hope today that we are encouraged by your word today. That we are not left thinking, oh, easy for you to say your life's great. 
but I pray that we would understand that it is simple, but it is so powerful. It isn't super deep, but it will get us through the deepest, darkest times of our lives as we simply look to you. You're our North Star. You're our guiding light. You are all that we need. As as Habakkuk said at the the beginning, you are my salvation. You're my only source of hope. I'm going to place all my trust in you, even when your plan doesn't make sense. Even when I don't understand the plan, don't like what I'm seeing of the plan, I even question, is there a plan? God, where are you? Help us in those moments, maybe especially in those moments, to not turn away from you, but to lean more into you as our only source of hope and power and comfort and peace and joy and hope. Help that to be a consistent part of our lives each and every day, to put you first and to seek you first. And Jesus, you say that as we do that, all these other things take care of themselves. So help that to be true in our lives, even as we struggle and as we question, as we live this life of pain and sometimes suffering and agony, help us to never quit, to never give up, and to always trust in your plan. And we'll we'll reap the benefits of that as we walk day by day in step with the Spirit, leading us and guiding us in the way that he wants us to go. So I pray that this would be an encouragement for us today as we leave this place to walk out encouraged and empowered to live this life victoriously by your spirit. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.